0: And that's what happens. I mean, I took a major Chevrolet dealership uh, out in Long Island, New York, because uh, uh, the fellow that that owned it was a degenerate gambler, got in trouble with my bookmakers. And my bookmakers would come to me and say, hey, Mike, this guy's into us really deep. You know, should we cut him off? And I said, why would you cut him off? I said, you're only writing a, an entry on a piece of paper. he's losing. Let him lose a half a million dollars, a million dollars, then let him come to me. And he did. And I took over his agency you had to pay me.
1: Hi, and welcome. It's Runchex and you're listening to my podcast where I explore the topics around what it takes to become a great poker player with various interesting people from in and around poker industry. If you're enjoying the podcast, you might be interested to sign up to my weekly newsletter where I deliver my key takeaways and ideas from each latest episode. Go look it up on runchexpodcast.com. Today, I'm talking to Michael Francis, He was a high-ranking member of Colombo crime family in New York. Fortune magazine named Michael as one of the top 50 most wealthy and powerful mafia bosses. And he was briefly mentioned in one of my favorite movies, The Goodfellas. But more importantly, he is one of very few people of his caliber who managed to quit that life and survive to tell the story. Today, among other things, we talk about the ways that people from organized crime take advantage of inexperienced and naive civilians who do business with them. But the message here is broader. In poker business, integrity is very important. And crossing the line always has consequences. It doesn't matter much if you cross that line together with mobsters or just with your high school friends. There's always a price to pay. It's just that when you deal with people like Michael's ex-colleagues, the price tends to be steeper. And now, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm so happy to have you on and perhaps you could introduce yourself because, you know, the way you do it, I
0: can't do it for you. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on. And uh, for those of you that don't know me, I was a former member of organized crime. I was a, uh, uh, a maid member in the Colombo family, one of the five New York La Cosa Nostra mafia families. And I grew up in that life. My dad before me was the underboss of the family, a very powerful position, second in command under the boss. And so I kind of grew up in that life, but uh, initially wasn't destined to be part of it. I was actually uh, going to school to, to be a doctor. I was an athlete in school and uh, my dad wanted me on a different course but he got in some severe trouble. He was very high profile at that time, always a, a major target of law enforcement and eventually he drew a 50-year prison sentence um, uh, in federal court for masterminding a nationwide string of bank robberies. a charge that until today. I know that was false. I know my dad was never a bank robber so he went into prison and uh, I love my dad very much, so I was determined to try to help him and, and get him out of that uh, prison sentence. Joe Colombo was the boss of our family at that time. He kind of took me under his wing. I would start to meet a lot of my dad's friends, and you know, they said, Mike, what are you doing going to school? If you don't help your father out, he's gonna die in prison. As a result of that, I, I visited my father in Leavenworth Penitentiary in Kansas, told him I wasn't going to school, I had to help him out. Or he'd basically die in prison. And it was at that point in time that he redirected me uh, to become a member of his life because he thought that would be the best way uh, for me to help him out. And uh, so in 1975, after an initial um, uh, period that I had to prove myself worthy, I became a, a made member, took the oath, and um, you know, started that life in 1975. Um, I was fortunate. I knew how to use that life to benefit me in business. I did end up getting my father out on parole after 10 years even though he kept going back into prison uh, Did a total of 40 years in prison throughout that time out of the 50 kept going back every time he was released on parole He was violated and go back But uh, you know, I started my uh, Kind of rise in that life in, in 1980. I was appointed a, a capo, captain copper regime and um You know made it made a significant amount of money and and kind of rose in the ranks until 1985, um, when I met a young girl who is now my wife of 35 years, and decided because of what was going on in that life, you know, the, the racketeering act had come into play. A lot of my friends were going to jail for a long time. I had become a major target myself. I was indicted five times. I had two federal racketeering cases, and uh, I decided on my last case to uh, to take a plea, uh, do some prison time, give the government some restitution. And, um, and after my prison sentence, I would try to make a break from that life, which um, I was released finally after doing eight years in prison in 1995. And since then I've been, you know, able to under some very trying circumstances and a lot of struggles and challenges because you're not allowed to walk away from that life. Uh, but I did, and uh, here I am today, some 24 years later. And, you know, I've been very, very fortunate, very blessed in my, my opinion. Uh, to be able to have a family and a, and a career and and just moved on with my life so basically that's it right. it's a long story i wrote a couple of books there's a lot of documentaries out there about me but that's kind of the summary
1: indeed yeah and like you said there's a lot of information about you and it's it's incredible that you walked away from the life that not many people can walk away and you know become this public figure figure a speaker an inspirational inspirational person um, what you didn't mention in your short summary is that you had uh, you've been mentioned in a fortune magazine uh, in top yes. fifty all-time uh, mob earners, you were number eighteen. And the incredible part about it, you were thirty five years old when you were listed as number eighteen of all-time earners. The success that you've had in that world, was incredible and to walk away and do what you do right now is just such a unique story and such a unlikely story to be honest because i i heard you say that some of the people that found out about you walking away some of the people from the government agencies they basically said yeah well he's a dead man walking and that's not gonna happen what i want to talk about because you mentioned your father right and in one of the interviews that you did, uh, you said that when you were growing up, your father never talked about the life with you. He was, a true, he was true to the oath he took, so he wasn't sharing the details about the life, uh, and that included not sharing the details with you. Is that unusual?
0: Well, it's, it's what you're supposed to do. When you take that oath, it's, uh, it's an oath of omerta, which means silence. You're not allowed to share... The secrets of that life with anyone else. And um, if my dad was anything, he was a good soldier in that regard. He was an old timer. And, um, you know, he never acknowledged that he was part of that life and he never gave me the details uh, prior to my becoming a member. So, you know, he never wanted to bring what was going on in the outside, in his world rather, into the home. We were a family in the home. And although uh, we grew up differently, because my dad being a major target of law enforcement. Uh, he was always under surveillance some from the time I was born practically I remember my dad being under surveillance and law enforcement around and him getting arrested several times and we we lived with that so I knew there was definitely something different with my dad obviously but uh, he never talked about it
1: never right there's one thing about this relationship with your father, because I, I feel like he's an inspirational figure to you. you. You fondly talk about your father over and over again. And there was an episode where you were basically walking into a room led by a friend, which you might have felt like, well, this this is it. You're walking to get whacked because there was, if I remember correctly, there was a newspaper article uh, claiming that you're making $2 billion or something like that and you know the mob got got suspicious cuz in fact you were making 8 million a week which is an incredible number but you know they they read a newspaper article you walked in and your father didn't defend you in a way and that was an episode which sort of helped you make the mind that it's time to get away from the life is that accurate
0: it is, and just to be clear, um, you know, I had devised a scheme to defraud the government out of tax on every gallon of gasoline, Now, I ran that operation for about eight years. Um, I had a lot of the Russian mob guys uh, as my partners, and we collectively were bringing in 5 to $8 million a week. It wasn't all going into my pocket, now, I want to make that clear, but we, we had a, a very lucrative operation at that time. And, uh, yeah, you know, one of the uh, one of the low points in that life, I would say, is that, you know, money and power mean a lot. And if you're making a lot of money and you're starting to become powerful, you know, people at the top start to be concerned. And, um, you know, one of the real horrors about that life is that, you know, you make a mistake. Your best friend walks you into a room. You know, you think everything's okay. You walk in that room, you don't walk out again. And uh, obviously, as a as an official in that life, I've experienced that with others. Um, and I got that walk one night, and uh, it, it was uh, it was a very scary situation. I'll be honest with you. you know, I was I was very concerned with the setup as I was walking into that room. And it's true, my dad uh, he went into that room before me, and he might he might have even been part of this setup to find out how much money I was really making. Because the newspapers were blowing it out, even though I was, I was, you know, paying a lot of money to the family as I was supposed to. But um, yeah, it was scary, and uh, my dad didn't defend me properly that night, and it was, uh, it had a real impact on me. And I believe that, um, you know, if uh, if that didn't happen that night, and I didn't see that betrayal in a way from my father, I don't know if I would have ever walked away from the life, but. Uh, it it really impacted me, you know, to the point where I said, "Hey, if this life can separate father and son, because he and I were so close, what do we really have here?" And uh, you know, it wasn't until two years later that I made the decision to walk away. But uh, that that played a primary role in that. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And I wanted to bring up this story because, as you said, if this life can separate father and son, you can only imagine what it does to friends what it does to business colleagues because in the same uh, business operation that you were running one of your closest partners in um, in the oil business was basically collecting evidence against you throughout the years it was like his um, get out of free uh, get out of jail free card right so this backstabbing this betrayal is very much part of the life and as you said well, power is what everybody's after and well you know the ethics of of the thing is somewhat different to to the civilian world and is my prime concern the reason i wanted to talk to you well apart from you know I, i'm just a big fan of the work that you're doing and, and all your stories and i i think it's it's great that you share it and people need to hear it but especially for My audience for the poker players you know many of whom get into the business of playing poker professionally are just young guys with no experience in life especially for those who get into playing live games they might might encounter situations where well they get to meet people like like you people who, well, not like you right now, but, you know, people from your form, former life for whom um, gambling is a huge part of business. And it's important to give this cautionary tale of what, what can happen, you know, because even if we think like, I know you do a lot of work for uh, NBA, for example, and educate the the coaches, the referees and the players about the dangers of gambling and how mafia takes, takes advantage of the people who gamble. Can you expand a bit on that?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually how I started speaking. Um, in the last six months of my prison sentence, um, I was visited by uh, all the pro sports, well, the NBA and Major League Baseball to be uh, you know exact. And uh, they asked me to participate in a video, an anti-gambling video, because they realized and knew that gambling among their players and personnel uh, was a big problem in the leagues. And so I agreed to do that. And because on the street, I had a number of bookmakers, illegal gamblers um, that worked for me, worked under me. And we had a lot of sports figures and league personnel (laughs) that were uh, gambling with us. Yeah, it's a big part of that life. Gambling is a a mainstay in that life. So we had a lot of, uh, you know, league personnel, players gambling with us. So they asked me to educate the players as to some of the problems they can encounter dealing with people like us or just gambling in general. So that's how, you know, I I started speaking because I created that video with them. And then when I got out of prison, they asked me to come to speak to the players. And I've been doing that for 24 years on Mm -hmm. the pro and college level. And, um, you know, it's a problem. I mean, uh, you know, organized crime is, is very much involved in gambling and all they care about is just getting an edge and making money. And, and they'll use people in that in that life uh, to to uh, achieve those goals so it's something i'm intimately familiar with I'm, I'm not a real poker player i'll be honest with you with that but i've had gamblers around me you know all my life and um, i realized that they're very susceptible because gambling is uh could be a real sickness if you don't know how to control it and you don't do it the right way it's like uh, it's like a drug and um you know so i've i've done my best to educate people over the years and it's obviously a good program because i've been doing it for 24 years and they keep calling me back, so I've spoken at probably 350 universities, uh, Division One and Division Two, to all the athletes, and I've spoken on a pro level to most of the leagues and many of the players and, and umpires and league personnel. So um, it's important, you know, and I, I feel committed to it. And um, look, I, I tell people gambling itself is not a, you know, a terrible thing. It's just it's like anything else. It's how you control it. How you watch the people around you, who you get involved with, make sure nobody's trying to use you, and uh, and just uh, you know act on it the right way.
1: Yeah, it's the key point you've mentioned. Make sure nobody's trying to use you, because you know in in poker world among professionals, and uh, I'm I'm just going to zoom in on the professionals, not not talk about the recreational players uh, all that much. But among professionals, it's quite common to be quite relaxed about how the money changes hands you know it's not uncommon to just receive a text message from your friend and say hey listen another guy you never saw him is just gonna come over to your table and he needs a big sum of money he needs to buy into the tournament can you give it to him right and you know everything happens on like a text message basis word of mouth like reputation is a big thing so obviously tarnishing the reputation is close to the end of the career so most people are really relaxed about it and they do the same when they deal with people outside of the poker professional industry and some of them might get in trouble for this because the ways that people from your former life take advantage of that, are so ingenious of, you know, lending the money easily. Sure, you pay it back later. Sure, you do this. But what happens after, not many people understand, like, what it means to be in debt to the wrong people. When you talk to the athletes, like, what is the story that, that you tell them? What is the cautionary tale here?
0: Well, you know, in in an athlete's position, they're always a target because remember, when it comes to sports competitions on that level, it's never about winning or losing the game. It's always about the point spread. Mm -hmm. So if you can manipulate the point spread by having a, uh, a principal player on your side or a referee or an umpire on your side, you know, over the course of a number of games, you can make a lot of money. You know, the problem for the player at that point is once they uh, agree to do something like that, especially with a member of organized crime, you know, they've compromised themselves uh, in a big way, in a really big way. And that's what I've told them. you got to be very careful of the people you associate with. You've got to understand that people are trying to use you. They're trying to, uh, you know, get an edge in this competition. Uh, and they may offer you things, um, you know, whether it be money or women or certain things in your lifestyle that you would appreciate uh, to get close to you. But basically they're trying to to use you. And once you get involved with something like that, well, you're open to a, a big problem because at any point in time it can threaten you, hey, we're going to let people know what you've been doing for the past couple of games and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I always tell them, Anybody that's trying to give you something for nothing, be careful, gotta be on your guard, you gotta do your research, you gotta grow up. I tell the athletes, you know, you're in a man's world now. This is not a kid's world anymore. And and just be very, very uh, aware of who is around you, questions that they might be asking you for what purpose, for what reason. You know, information is the lifeblood of gambling on sports you know, medical information, uh, information about personalities in the clubhouse. Uh, There's so many things impact what could happen in a competition that can manipulate the the point spread. So, you know, be guarded in who you give information to, you're not supposed to give it out anyway, but you you just gotta be careful. And the problem with organized crime, at least in, in my life of organized crime, is that we knew, you know, it was our expertise how to get friendly? How to get close? How to get into somebody? It's uh, we knew how to put our arm around you, make you feel comfortable, make you feel important, and before you know it, you're in a trap, you're in a snare. So we were masters at that. You know, it's it's not always by force that you have to do something. It's by manipulation. It's by getting close to somebody. So um, you know, they had to be wary of that. And I tell them when it comes to gambling. Uh, it, doesn't have to be a member of organized crime. It could be anybody, someone with a gambling habit. I don't want to say an addiction, but a gambling habit that's really into their gambling life. Uh, you got to be very careful with these people because they know how to manipulate and how to use you. And, yeah. um, you know, so it's basically teaching these athletes uh, how to be on their guard 24 seven. And that's what it takes.
1: All right. When you're tempted, Like, let's say if we talk about an athlete or a poker player, when you're tempted to do something that you know is risky, what is there to stop you? You know it's risky, but you see the huge
0: upside. Why not take the step? Well, listen, you know, a lot of us are risk takers. And as you get older, you learn how to minimize the, uh, the risks because you've been through it. When you're younger, you know sometimes you you uh, you have to go through it to learn. The problem is, um, when you go through it, the consequences can be so severe that that could be the end of your career or could cause you major problems. You don't need to go through that. You know, um, I think it's something within you. Education is important. You know, if you don't know that you're susceptible to somebody trying to compromise you, well, then you don't know you you have a problem. So. Mm-hmm. Education is important. People have to be aware of this and then it's your inner self Say look, you know, do I value what I'm doing now? Do I want to keep it this way? or do I want to take a chance for a few extra bucks I can make, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, It's something within you that you have to be strong enough to resist when there's a temptation that could lead you in the wrong direction
1: Right. Well most of the business that mafia gets in the legitimate side. It's mostly people approaching you and saying, hey, I have this business idea, I, I can't get the money from the bank, can I deal with you? That's pretty much governed by greed and just looking at the upside. How do you reflect on those people? The people who go and want to do business with the organized crime?
0: Well, yeah. Well, you said it's very important. You know, if, you know in the movies most of the time, get it, they get it wrong. They make it seem like you know a bunch of organized crime guys uh, scheme to get involved in a major company, and they walk in there in pinstripe suits with guns, and they take it over. It Doesn't happen that way, you know. In my case, especially, and I can speak for most of my former associates, it was somebody from inside a company that wants to make a few extra bucks, that knows maybe there's a way to compromise uh, the business that they're in, and they come to us for help, whether it be for money whether it be for protection, whether it be to help them, uh, you know, carry through a scheme that they may have in mind, that happened to me so many times, so often. As a matter of fact, businessmen would approach me so much. Uh, I used to have a place on a Monday night uh, where if you had something you wanted to talk to me about, you know I'm there every Monday night, come and talk to me. And you'd be surprised how many people in business have come to me. So it's always somebody from the inside that figures out a way or, or wants to do something to make their lifestyle better. And, um, you know, again, you have to be aware of this. And, uh, you know, we were very good. You know, people would come to us. How much money you need? They couldn't get it from a bank. You know, we'll give you whatever money you want. Take it. You know, you pay us X amount of dollars a week. And if you can't pay it, well, we're going to take control of your company. And that's what happens. I mean, I took a major Chevrolet dealership uh, out in Long Island, New York, because uh, uh, the fellow that owned it was a degenerate gambler in trouble with my bookmakers and my bookmakers would come to me and say "Hey, Mike this guy's into us really deep you know should we cut him off and I said why would you cut him off I said you're only writing a, an entry on a piece of paper and he's losing let him lose a half a million dollars a million dollars then let him come to me and he did and I took over his agency because he had to pay me you know I tell people when you have a gambling debt you're going to pay the debt you know in Vegas you write a, a marker and you don't pay, it's like writing a bad check. I mean, you're gonna mm-hmm. pay your gambling debt, whether it be on the street or whether it be in, in a legal gambling, but you're gonna pay somehow, some way. So you deal with organized crime and you're probably gonna pay in the worst way possible. You're gonna take a big loss. So, you know, it, it's again, you have to weigh your options and say, is it worth taking the risk? Am I gonna be able to do this? You know, money is always a, a strong, you know, aphrodisiac to people. Oh, if I have X amount of dollars, I can make X amount more. I, I, I know that for a fact. I mean, I lent a lot of money to card players. I had, you know, I had card games that, uh, that people under me would operate. Guys were always coming to me for money all, all the time. And I made money off of them because they, they kept coming back to play. They would lose. They'd even lose at my table. You know, I know a lot of times guys would lose at my table, go to the game down the street, who's there or, you know it's robin peter to pay paul you know so um uh you know gambling is a tough thing and you you got to be able to control it i would imagine even on a professional level uh mm-hmm. you got to be able to control it it's like anything else you know yeah. it's something very interesting i, I recently saw the uh, documentary on michael jordan mm-hmm. and um you know they asked michael uh, every it's legendary michael's a, a big gambler gambles on everything And they asked Michael if he had a gambling problem. And Michael said, no, I don't have a gambling problem. I have a competition problem. And, you know, it struck me. He's he's absolutely right because losing money doesn't compromise his lifestyle at all because he's got enough. You know, the secret is to have enough to cover your losses all the time. Then you can do whatever you want. Cover your losses all the time. You can do whatever you want. So I, I agree with Michael. He didn't have a gambling problem because it didn't hurt his lifestyle at all. He didn't make it impact his life, but he has a competition problem and gambling just raises the level of competition on anything that he's doing, whether he's playing sports or anything else, it raises the level of competition. And I, I noticed that a lot of gamblers have that kind of competitive spirit. They want to just keep coming back. It's the competition. It's I'm going to beat you. A lot of times, not even the money. And, you know, you could speak to that better than I can, but I've noticed this in many people that, uh, that you know, that I've been involved with that gamble throughout their lives.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're right. This competitive drive is one part that's necessary in the equation of becoming better, striving to become better than the competition. But it can lead to demise of a lot of people as well when you, you know, when it gets out of the control. And speaking of Michael Jordan, what about the rumors that he was asked to step away from NBA for a couple of years because his father was allegedly killed because of Michael's death, Um Do you know anything about that?
0: You know, I, I only know what I've heard. And I think what I heard at the time wasn't, wasn't right, but um, there were rumors going around. You know, this was after his father was killed and I was working with the NBA, that it might've had something to do with Michael's gambling problem. I think that's been debunked. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case. But I am pretty certain because I heard it from good sources back then that he was asked to step away from the NBA just to let things silence. And Michael, being the competitive that he is, you know, went and played baseball. Now, he may deny that and he may be right. I'm only telling you what I heard at the time from people that I considered to be good sources. Mm -hmm. Um, They might have been speculating. They might have known something. Uh, Maybe Michael doesn't want to come out with it. No, it doesn't matter at this point, but I don't believe that his dad's death had anything to do with his gambling problem. I think that's been debunked.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, Let's get back to what we previously discussed, the competitive drive. And well, actually, let's go back even further, right? People approaching organized uh, crime and saying, hey, I want to do business with you. Once you get in business with people from organized crime, you're basically on the hook. You can't get out easily, even if you're making money. Obviously, while you're making money, everybody's gonna be happy, but it's only as long as you're making money. Um, with poker players, or with anyone really, you know, there comes a time when you have a temptation to do something that is not ethical. So crossing some sort of imaginary line. And I see, we recently had some scandals in the poker industry where people clearly crossed the line because they thought, well, first of all, it seems like everybody's doing it, which is not the case at all. But first of all, that. And second, well, what's the downside? If I get caught, nothing's going to happen, right? It's not like police is going to get involved, et cetera, et cetera. That, I feel that happens a lot. And this greed drives people to do, to make these sort of decisions. From your experience, like what would you say to somebody who wants to cross this line and sees only the upside and thinks the downside is not there?
0: Well, listen, you know, it's, it's like uh, I can compare it to what happened in Major League Baseball during the steroid era. Why, would the, why were they all doing it? Well, everybody was doing it. That's what everybody said. Everybody's doing it, so what are they gonna do? Catch everybody? And everybody was doing it until what happened? Everybody started to get caught. And then careers were ruined, the industry had a big black guy. You're always gonna get caught if you stay in something long enough. You're always gonna get caught if you share information with someone else. Look, the downfall of my former life was really, it started to to cave in from within. A lot of guys became informants because the government started to wield more power than the mob did when they came out with these racketeering laws and the bail, uh, the bail reform act and the sentencing reform act. What happened in my former life is that fear of the mob uh, for retribution for making a mistake or be uh, it was transferred to the government because the government became more powerful and the kind of sentences they were giving and people didn't wanna spend the rest of their life in jail. So it's the same thing and anytime you take a risk, okay, if you're sharing that with others, if other people know what you're doing, if more people get involved in it, it's only a matter of time before uh, it's gonna explode. And are you gonna be one of the casualties or are you gonna be one of the fortunate ones that, that come out okay? I was one of the casualties. You know, I did eight years in prison. I had a fifteen million dollar restitution. I lost a lot. I had five million dollars in forfeitures and so on. Um, but I ended up after a long stretch of of very difficult times being okay. But who wants to go through that? So the bottom line is, uh, you really have to weigh your your uh, your options and your conce- and and look at what the consequences of your actions can be down the line. Everything looks great at that moment. I'll make a few extra bucks. Everybody's doing it. What's the big deal? What's going to happen? But life is very funny. You know, you can't always predict the future. And if you're putting yourself in the fire, you got to prepare to get burned. And that's just the way it goes. I've seen it happen so many times. I've heard people say the same. Oh, everybody was doing it at the time. Yeah. Now look what's happening to everybody. You know, you have to resist it. Mm -hmm.
1: And also, if we think about doing something just for the money. It's probably a bad idea i mean when is enough enough if your only goal is money you're probably never reaching a point of satisfaction you're never reaching a happy life um because let's face it let's say in the time when you were making uh eight million with other people a week right so i would assume you personally was were quite well off um would you say you're happier now? Because you've found a new purpose, a purpose that actually allows you to share something with others.
0: You know, there's no question. Look, I mean, I had, a, I had my own jet plane, I had a helicopter, I had houses in three different states, I had boats in the water behind my house, but my, <laughs> I just kept, kept wanting to make more money. Um, I don't know why, I, I was never able to use all the money that I made But I wanted to continue to make more money. I wanted to acquire things obtain things not even that I was going to use them But just to have them Eventually, it was my downfall because I was doing a lot of it illegally Um, Now uh, don't get me wrong. Look money is important money The best thing money does for you in my opinion is gives you comfort and peace of mind You know, I'm comfortable now. I have the money that I need. I'm not looking to by the state of california i'm not looking to do all these different things but if i want to go on vacation i can if i want to buy a car i can i live in a nice house in a decent neighborhood so you know those are the things that are important to me and i can enjoy my life so when you reach that point you know why do you always want more it's it comes a time and i guess it sometimes it comes with age sometimes you know you're just uh very fortunate to have that at a young age hey i got enough. I live comfortably, and this is this is all I need. But money, look, my dad always told me, you know, and he was so right. He said, you know, you got to watch out for really three things in life. He missed one, but he said three things. Wine, women, and money. He says those three things can take you down faster than anything else. He left one thing out that I learned later on, and that's power. A lust for power is is very, very dangerous in this life. It It, it causes you to a lot of bad things i've seen family turn against family for power Uh, very bad things so if you can learn to control those things you know wine women money and the fourth being power you could live a good life Hmm.
1: that's really powerful but coming back to you saying you were making so much money and your drive was to keep making more and more money, isn't it so that it's pretty hard for you to step down? Let's say when you're making all that money with with the other people involved in um, organized crime, it's a pretty tough conversation to have with your business, business partners telling them, hey, listen, you know what, I wanna slow it down a bit. I wanna, you know, maybe we're making too much money. That's unlikely to go well with your business partners. So you're sort of stuck even if you wouldn't want to there's no easy way out right
0: well that's correct and you know one of the reasons uh my boss and people were so upset with me because when i left you know the faucet turned off in a big way and the money wasn't coming in the same um and people were upset with that um but you know (laughs) look you got to know when to call it quits but you know i'll tell you how i rationalized at that time You know, I had the government on my back all the time. I mean, I had a a task force comprised of 15 or 16 different law enforcement agencies that their specific job was to put me away for life. So, I mean, I had those challenges every day. But do I say, okay, I'm going to throw in the towel? But my reasoning was, well, listen. You get as much time for a million dollars as you do for $10 billion. So why should I stop? If I stop this, that money's going somewhere else. So I may as well keep going, Mm -hmm. achieve and obtain as much as I can. That's how I reasoned at the time. And it wasn't a bad rationalization because I was already in the fire. There was no way I was getting away from the government. They were going to get me one way or the other. And so, you know, I had to, I mean, to get into what I had to do, to end up where I am now is another I could write a whole book about that, but uh, It's a long story and it was a lot of good fortune on my part a lot of planning a lot of strategy uh, and a lot of things just broke my way To to have me be where I am today. Trust me. I couldn't have planned this all the way It's just things mm-hmm. started to break my way but um You know, you have to know when enough is enough and uh, That's hard for people very very hard you just say, hey, you know what? Why can't I just keep going? I'm making a lot of money now. Why can't I keep doing this? I'm never going to get caught. Or this isn't enough. Or what if I want to buy something else? And mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, And that's the world we live in because we see it around us all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the problems with crossing the line. Once you cross the line and you're dealing with other people behind that line, once again, it's a hard conversation to say, hey, guys, I want out. They won't let you, even in the smaller things, even in the smaller things. I'm just thinking about some of the uh, um, scandals that happened in the poker world, right? You can't get out. So you think you're doing it for a week? You're doing it for a month? Well, you're a fool. They won't let you.
0: Well, you know, if you're fortunate enough to, to have the talent, the ingenuity, to survive and prosper in that world, the world that you're in, um, you should, you know, your, your benefit is to have that strategy and that talent. Why poison it by bringing something into that, that could compromise you in such a way, you know? um, And, and that's a message I give an athlete. You have your talent got you here, your ability. Why are you going to compromise that by bringing some outside force in here that eventually can have, uh, An advantage over you something to hold over your head, you know The best thing in this world is not to owe anybody anything And if you've gotten some place on hard work talent ingenuity That should be That's it I mean, you don't need anybody else to come in and try to compromise what you've worked hard for Mm -hmm. And I know look poker is uh, there's a lot that goes into it. I know I mean I've played and i've watched i'm not a great poker player. I don't have the uh i don't know i don't have the desire for it i would say and i like to lose money you know (laughs) that's it but um uh you know why compromise it with somebody coming in and having the arm on you having an advantage over you having something to say about you you don't need that
1: absolutely absolutely and and that's such a powerful message to to remind people that, you know, if you're there on merit, if you're there on talent, if you're there on your hard work, making a compromise with your principles or just having bad principles in life to begin with, that's going to tarnish the whole thing for you. The longevity is not going to be there and you will either be stuck doing something that you don't want to do because, well, you owe somebody something, you owe them a favor and you can't get out. So, yeah, like Absolutely. you
0: said. You know, I, I, I tell you, I, I've seen it happen so often. You know, when people have a competitive spirit, they're, they're normally um, an easy target, especially the younger people. They're easy targets because they don't have that experience. You know, they don't have that know-how. And, uh, you know, their, their talent and their competitive, and, instead of being an advantage to them, it turns into a disadvantage and that's what you have to be careful of your talent, your ability, your competitive nature has to always be used to your advantage and not become a disadvantage to you. And, um, you know, that's, that's a problem with, with athletes. Mm -hmm. They make their competitiveness become a disadvantage by getting around the wrong people and wanting more than what their talent will bring them.
1: Right. And another aspect here is that, you know, with with this competitive drive and with this risk-taking mentality, many people sort of make reckless decisions because ah, it's going to work out. And that's a problem because, you know, you have to weigh things before you, you know, recently I had a conversation uh, on a podcast with a young guy wonderful story and i mean everything ended up great and it's a it's a great tale but at the same time you know he made some decisions which were clearly why Why are you doing it why are you basically risking your life just because you already came to a point that's easier to keep going forward than to turn back and that's the problem with being competitive and being a risk taker you're gonna have to face a lot of these decisions and you might just Keep plowing on.
0: Yeah, you know something you said, but I heard a lot of people, well, I, I just thought it was going to work out, and I said you didn't think it was going to work out. You were hopeful that it was going to work out. Mm. Well, you didn't really weigh, you know, the the reason why it would work out, because most of the time it won't. You just don't want to hear that. You don't want to listen to that in your head, because what's in front of you becomes, you know, more tantalizing, so to speak. Well, I'll take the shot but basically you're just taking a risk you don't know how it's gonna work out you're just hopeful that it works mm-hmm. out and, and oftentimes it doesn't and then you pay the consequences too late at that point
1: right right do um, you know one thing I want to talk about is the life of the organized crime to many guys it is appealing because of the power because of all of the things. And like you said, education is important because, well, it's appealing if you don't know the details. You know, if you only see the surface, seems all right. You know, if you don't watch the movie till the end, the beginning of every gangster movie is usually pretty awesome. By the end, everybody dies. And that's pretty much the same in real life. You know, people end up in jail. People end up dead. There are not many guys like you who walked away and can be a public speaker can walk on a street, can eat in a restaurant without having to look over your shoulder all of the time?
0: Well, you know, it's a, you said it, it's a message. I speak to a lot of young people, a lot of gangbangers. I go into a lot of juvenile halls and and uh, you know work in that area quite a bit. And uh, young people, they'll say to me all the time, yeah, but you had all the money, you had the power, you had the great cars, you had the women, and they'll mention a movie. And I always say to them, well, did you watch the movie all the way through to the end? Who lost the car, the woman, their life, went to prison? How come they don't see that? It's, they're not thinking to that point because all they see is what's, what's in front of them. I have a chance to make this kind of money, have this kind of power, and, and that's all they see because mm-hmm. they don't, they don't want to tell themselves that the bad stuff is going to happen. But 98% of the time, it will. Now, look, I'm the exception. I'm not the rule. And I can't sit here and tell you why it happened this way. I just, you know, I'm I'm very fortunate, very blessed that it happened this way. But I am certainly the exception. I don't know of anyone else that uh, achieved the position in that life that I did, was able to walk away, not enter a witness protection program, not put anybody in prison. You know, I'll I'll be honest with you. I spoke to the government. But, you know, honestly, I'm... um, One of the talents that I have is I know how to strategize and read people and get myself in and out of situations now, you know, I I had a plan in Speaking to the government but knew it would never End up in me putting anybody in prison You know my way was okay. I'm trying to preserve my life for me and my family So I'll talk to them a little bit But I'm never going to go the distance and whatever I tell them is never going to be used put anybody in prison so in a way i don't like to say it because i don't i don't want to sound like you know but i outsmarted them a little bit but i had i had some inside information i had some knowledge and i was able to use it my experience and training in my former life taught me how to navigate that course and so i was able to survive and be where i am today it wasn't easy i had a lot of challenges and a lot of struggles and i went to prison as a result but but um it, it, it's not easy to come out on the right side of these things mm-hmm. You know, I don't know anybody in that You know all my former associates are either dead or in prison for the rest of their life. All of them I'm not talking about I'm talking about all of them that had any kind of stature in that life. They're all gone And in a period of 30 years wiped out So what does that tell you the odds are pretty bad? When you're trying to enter that life every gang I know, you know you know, the funny thing, too, when you're in prison, I can't tell you how many times guys come up to me, oh, you know, I'm never coming back again because I learned in here what do I have to, what I have to do not, not to get caught. And I used to say, really? Who did you learn that from? Because everybody in here got caught. So how are they teaching you how not to get caught? I said, you're delusional. You're, you're kidding yourself. Instead of thinking, OK, I got caught. I'm paying the consequences. Let me go out and try to straighten my life out. They're already thinking how they're going to come back to jail, but they think it's never going to happen. It's, it's, it's crazy. I, I saw that so many times and it was just uh, I just couldn't get it because me, I'm thinking, how do I stay away from this? I don't ever want to come back. I want to avoid it. You know, it's this whole thing. I mean, I don't want to get political. It's this whole thing now. It's what I tell you. are Never going to beat law enforcement over an extended period of time. You might get away once you might get away twice, but if you keep in that game, you're going to go down. So the best way not to have a problem is to avoid it. Stay away from it. Don't go near it. You're not going to beat something. Stay away from it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's even with these latest incidents that are happening, you know, look what happened in, with the whole Floyd thing was it was absolutely a tragedy. But how many times are you going to have a confrontation with the police before it gets ugly? How many times? You know, you got to say, I'm not going to beat these people. I went to jail once, twice, three times. I get caught. Everything I do, let me stay away because it's going to end up ugly. Those are the things that I don't understand and I try to tell people. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's the same thing in in, in your sport. You may get away with something once or twice or three times, but if you keep putting your hand in a fire, you're eventually going to pay for it. So why do it? When you have a talent and an ability that has taken you this far and that can continue that way, okay, why compromise it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And plus, it's not even a fair uh, matchup, you know, because people from your no. line of work, that's their thing, manipulating other guys, taking advantage of other guys. And like you were saying, you, you're going to make this young kid comfortable and feel like he's on top of the world, best friends. You know, sure, join me for this nice restaurant, et cetera, et cetera, I'll give you everything you want. That's something that these guys from your line of work, your previous line of work, are very good at. And what does this young guy know? Nothing. It's just, okay, well, Michael seems like an awesome guy. I like Absolutely. him. And then one day you get the reality check and you find out, okay, well, Michael tells me to do X. I'm gonna have to do X. I can't I can't get away.
0: You know, it's an example I used to tell, and I think you could apply it to your business, your sport. You know, I'd speak to uh, college football players, and I'd always tell the coach, "I want all your linemen right in the front row—big guys, 300 pounds, 350, six foot five. And I'd get to a—I'd get to a point. Uh, I lost you again. Hold on. There you go. I'd get to a point where I would tell the biggest guy in the room, "Stand up." He would look at me, look around. I said, stand up. What are you afraid of? You're three times my size. Stand up. You get up. And I said, you're a pretty big guy. Very strong. You work out every day. Take three people out every time you defend your quarterback. I said, if I ever got on the field with you, I wouldn't last two seconds. You'd eat me up. I said, but let me explain something to you this. And I draw a little line with my foot. I said, you come over this line. You come into my world. You're no match for me. I said, I'll eat you up and spit you out in one second because whatever I tell you I'm going to do, I'm going to do. And then I'm going to go home and eat dinner. I said, "So don't step over that line. You're no match for me or any of my associates. And that guy would, the whole room would get quiet and they would sit down. The point being, you're overmatched. No matter how smart you think you are, you come into our world, you're overmatched because this is our world. This is what we want to do. We don't care if we hurt you. We don't care. We'll we'll achieve what we want to achieve. And you're just a, a tool that we're using. And we'll throw you away when we're done with you.
1: Mm. That's the thing. That's what you're good at. That's also one of the reasons that for so many people, it's hard to get away from it, even after prison, even after experiencing all the bad aspects, because it's almost, what else are you going to do? That's First right. of all, that's what you're good at, and second, well, it's pretty hard to find a legitimate job as an ex-con, especially in in the United States. Well, it's not like you know people are waiting for you uh, in a regular office job. Uh, that's a problem.
0: No doubt, no doubt. Look, so many people I know that you know that became informants, went into witness protection program for a couple of years, had to change their whole lifestyle. They couldn't make it. It's not who I am. I don't know how to do this. I'm too far gone. I'm too much a part of that life. They've struggled big time. Can't make it. You know, but it's very unfortunate. Yeah.
1: I always think about Joe Pistone, right? The the guy who was Donny Brasco, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I've seen a couple interviews with him and he, he seems at least on surface it seems like he was so deep in that life and yet when the mission was over he stepped away he's back to normal have you seen any of of his interviews
0: i know joe yeah, I've i've been in his company a few times right once or twice during my time in that life because i knew lefty uh, pretty well um but I've seen him, as a matter of fact, he just texted me two days ago. He has his own podcast now. So, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, he's, a, you know, look, people, you know, call me all sorts of names for saying this, but he's a nice guy. Listen, he had a, I want to tell you how we we looked at law enforcement back then. They had their job. We had our job. Our job was to beat you. Your job was to arrest us. We respected law enforcement. The only time we got upset is if they tried to frame us or they harassed our family. We said, look, we're not going to do that to your family. You get us the right way. We're, our job is to try to beat you. We're going to make money any way we can. Your job is to arrest us. So we get it. We're on opposite sides. Just play the game right. That's what we used to tell them. Our, we play the game right because we're criminals. You know That's what we're supposed to do. You're supposed to be on the side of law enforcement. Do it the right way. You got enough tools in your arsenal. Come and get us. And at that point in time, we respected him. So, right. I mean, I understand what Joe was doing. That was his, his, his lifestyle. Um, that's what his, his job was. So, I mean, we became, you know, we don't hang out together. I don't want to say that. But, you know, we're friends now. I mean, I consider him a friend. Mm. So, um, he's an interesting guy. But I'll tell you that, to, to do what he did, if, if Joe and I were sitting together now, and you didn't know either one of us, You'd be hard pressed to say which one was the mob guy, right? Because he okay. he's so into that. Even now, he, he kind of acts the same way. It's funny, um, but uh, what he did to go undercover cover like that and and play that—I don't want to say game, but play that game for so long. I mean, he was—he did a good job. I have mm. to say it. He did a great Fooled job. A lot of people,
1: but what a sacrifice, though, for his family. A for sacrifice. it's it's incredible. Tremendous sacrifice. All right. Well, Michael, and speaking, because you have you mentioned Joe's uh, podcast, I didn't know he has one. I'm definitely going to check it out. And I want to also, I'm going to put all the links in the show notes about the other podcast that you did. Uh, I really liked uh, your interview with Patrick, but David, yeah. uh, that was great. And the recent one with Mike Tyson, that was very yeah. interesting as well.
0: Definitely going to put all the links to that. Um, great
1: definitely. i actually just
0: did a i did another one with uh, vlad tv i don't know if you oh yeah yeah I, i've seen i've seen that one as well yes of course he just Wait. he just dropped we did another one about a week ago and he started okay. to you know he drops them in segments mm-hmm. so he dropped the first one yesterday okay it just came out
1: yeah. wonderful yeah I'm, I'm gonna definitely put the links and to your book as well you see i have a that. paper copy here i read it wonderful i usually buy books as an ebook first and mm-hmm. if i like it i buy a paper version with yours right. i just went straight to paper i thought oh, i well, want to have you. it i want to have it at home and uh yeah you see it's already seen some action and uh <laughs> edges are that's good i are, like uh, to see books that went yeah uh and by the way i saw you have the new youtube channel as well
0: what's yeah? I actually just started it um and uh, I'm going to be doing some, you know, people are trying to get me to do a podcast. But um, I, I think I'd rather do YouTube right now because mm-hmm. I have some things to say to do. And we have a plan and that'll start in another week or so that I'll start putting new content on there. There's some older content on there. Okay. But uh, we have a plan along with my team as to how we're going to proceed on that. And it'll start next week. So we're excited about it. It's, you know, during this pandemic... Uh, Things that we weren't going to do before we didn't have enough time for, we have time for now. So, Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. I think podcasts and YouTube channels, etc., it's a growing business nowadays because more and more people discover that, hey, this is a good medium uh, and it's a good time to start. Absolutely. Um, Michael, thank you so much for your time. I know you have... You have to go on with your day. And I yes. really appreciate the time you, that you spent with me here. Uh, I think we covered some really interesting topics. Like I said, I'm going to put all the links to your stuff. And I appreciate the work that you're doing. Like you said, education is important because yes. the story of the organized crime, the story of gambling debts, etc., etc. it's nothing if you don't know the downside. If That's you don't right. watch the movie till the end, it's all
0: pretty good in the beginning. That's right. Got to watch it till the end. And the next time uh, you, you visit Vegas once a year? Well,
1: yeah, not this year. Maybe later this year. But yeah, usually at least once a year I'm, I'm in Vegas.
0: Yeah, give me a holler because I go there quite a bit. And I have a show there. Um, we had it for six months. It was called A Mob Story. It was downtown. Mm-hmm. But now um, we're moving up to the Strip in a okay. place called the Mosaic Theater. And I'll be hosting a show every once in a while, but it's it's very enjoyable. It's the history of the mob in Las Vegas set to music and dance. And it's it's a cool show. The reviews will be great on it. So you'll enjoy it.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely, definitely reach out to you when I'm there. You give me a call. You'll be my guest at the show. How's that? Uh, Michael, that's amazing. I really appreciate it. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much and um, have a good day. You too. And good luck. Keep doing the right thing. Thank you. You too. (laughs) Bye-bye. I will. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to get regular email from me where I share my key takeaways from each latest episode, go to runchickspodcast.com and subscribe to my newsletter. And of course, I would really appreciate if you subscribe to my channel on YouTube and rate my podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or any other platform where you normally listen to the podcasts, this really helps.